The Lord is awesome. So, we're going to talk about five Christmas words learned. And you can prepare your heart in a little bit. We're going to stand up for the reading of the scripture, but not right now. So, it will be in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. We're in the passage which is known as the Annunciation. That is where the angel Gabriel comes to announce the virgin birth. The virgin marries God's purposes. It is a very well-known passage to us. Luke is, of course, pointing to the greatness of Jesus in all these stories. It is important that we not lose sight of that fact. It's all about Jesus. Yes, he is clearly paralleling the story of the birth and life of both John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. But it's not so much about the similarities that he wants us to focus on, but the differences. Yes, there are two cousins. Yes, they were both born in the wake of miraculous pregnancies. Yes, they are two great lives to be lived. But Jesus is the greatest. Yes, I can hear everybody saying, yes, John the Baptist is called great before God and the greatest born among women. But Jesus Christ in that passage is called the very son of God. John the Baptist's birth, his conception was miraculous in the fact that his mother was very old. Mary, however, had not known a man. And his birth was a great miracle. And so Luke is concerned to focus our attention on Jesus Christ himself. And whatever we learn today about ourselves, about our own Christian lives, let me be plain focus here that this is all about Jesus And Jesus Christ alone. Please stand for the reading of God's word. This is the word of God. Luke 1 beginning at verse 26. Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God. To a city in Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and was pondering what kind of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. But Mary said to the angel, how would this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason also the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, 
herself was conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called infertile is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the Lord's bondservant. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You may be seated. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, these are your words. Holy inspired. And as we look at your words, let us really focus on that it's all about you. As Matt so aptly preached last Sunday, it starts in Genesis. As Dwayne and Thomas and Matt again, it goes from Genesis to Revelation because you are a holy one, Lord. So give me the words, give us the focus that it's all about you. In Jesus' most holy name, amen. At Christmas time, we are perhaps more conscious as Christians than at any other time of the year of how the world shapes us, right? You see it all over the place. And we are also perhaps longing more than at any other time of the year to be shaped rather by Christ and his word than by the world itself. Well, how can that happen? How can we see encouragement in our desire to be shaped more by Christ and his word than by the pervasive influences of the world around us? In my introduction, I just want to share that because it focuses on where we are. Well, first of all, it starts with desire, right? We need to desire to be shaped by Christ. We need to have the desire to be shaped by his word. To live according to his word, to walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. So yes, it begins with us saying, I desire to do this. But it moves on to prayer. Those desires need to be wrought in our prayers. Something like, Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. I don't want to be worldly. I want to think like a believer. I want to live like a believer. I want to act like a believer. I want to love like a believer. I want to exalt you and not in the trinkets that the world has to offer. So yes, it begins with desire. We pray it. And then it involves some self-examination. It's kind of like why we took communion earlier, right? Lord, Where in my life has the world, the flesh, and God forbid, even the devil got a hold of me? We got to do some introspection at this time. Where has my thinking been conformed by this world rather than by my mind being renewed and transformed by the renewing of your mind? So you see, first it begins with prayer, or desire, and then prayer, then self-examination, But as I'm so reminded every Wednesday night with Duane, the final arbiter of everything is the scriptures themselves, the word of God. 
if we're going to be like Christ, which is what I'm going to share a little bit in a moment, if we're going to march to the beat of a different drum than the world is marching to, then we've got to go to God's word itself and be in the word daily so that we can walk accordance with the word and not accordance to the world. I want to reiterate, and you're going to hear this over and over. If you get nothing about today than this, as I said in the beginning, this passage is about Jesus first and foremost. And it's about God's redeeming purposes first and foremost. But even as we exalt God and Christ, as we see the redeeming purposes of the Lord... And the work of the Lord Jesus Christ unfolded in this passage. We also learn some lessons about how to live to Christ. Five words I want to sum up today. Five words I want us to sum up about how we do that in this Christmas season. They are humility, privilege, mystery, sovereignty, and submission. So let us look at these five words so that we can emulate these this Christmas season because it's so easy to get caught up with the glitter and the glamour and you know I think they're starting in July now with Christmas decorations it seems like okay and you know Hallmark Christmas in July whatever okay. So we're going to talk first about the word humility. Let us look at verses 26 and 27. Just look at that. It's an amazing announcement that's given to this young woman. Now Gabriel is speaking to Mary and saying to this young woman this. You are going to be the mother of the Messiah. You are going to be the mother of the one from whom your people have been waiting for ages. You haven't been waiting just for days and weeks and months and years, but for ages. Ever since, as Matt so aptly preached last Sunday, to eat Adam and Eve. Let me remind you. Behold, he will bruise his heel, but he will crush his head. The people of God have been looking for that seed. The seed of the woman for the Messiah to come into the world. And God has sent Gabriel to this young woman to say, you are going to be the mother of that Messiah. And God is sending him into this world through you. But if you don't remember that, remember Daniel 9. Okay? Who was sent in Daniel 9? Gabriel was. Okay? Gabriel was sent to... Daniel 9, in answer to Daniel's prayer that the Messiah was going to come into the world. And he wasn't just coming for the children of Israel to relieve them from captivity, but the Messiah was going to come into the world in answer to Daniel's prayer. So just like in Genesis, just like in Daniel, Gabriel says to Mary, You know, Mary, you are the part of that story of the Messiah coming into the world. 
You are going to be the mother of the Messiah. That's an amazing passage. So I just want us to kind of focus a little bit closer on that. Look at verse 26, okay? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Okay, yeah, we're all expecting that. We're expecting that because if you read the Old Testament, you know that was coming. We're expecting that because if you read earlier in the book of Luke, it was coming. But this is what we weren't expecting. Look at that next phrase. To a city of Galilee named Nazareth. An angel coming to announce the birth, we're expecting. To a city in Galilee, no, 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 no. And doesn't that point very point to the fact of the loving condescension of God? If you don't understand that word condescension, let me give you two. The condescension of the Lord Jesus generally refers to his leaving his high and holy station in heaven and coming to live as a man on earth to accomplish the atonement and the resurrection. That's what we're talking about here in humility. So I want you to think for a moment, my friends, about how the humble circumstances of Mary and the humble condition of our Savior's birth set forth some miraculous events. Now, let me just give you a history lesson here, okay? Jochum Jeremiah, he was one of the great scholars in the very early time of Christ. He tells us in the day of Jesus and Mary that the average age of betrothal for young women was 12 or 12 and a half. <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't know how old Mary was, and nobody else does either, okay? So don't tell me you do. <laughs> but maybe we, what we do know is Mary was barely a teenager, okay? Some of us have teenage daughters. Okay, mind-blowing. God had not appointed Gabriel to go into Jerusalem. No, right? Not to Jerusalem. He didn't say, Gabriel, go to the high priest. Go to, say to Caiaphas, Caiaphas, your daughter, fair as she is, as well-heeled as she is, as excellently educated as she is, as beautifully garbed in gold embroidery as she is, she will be the one that will be the mother of the Messiah. No, 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 no. No, he had sent the angel Gabriel into Galilee of all places and to Nazareth of which there was an axiom. Anybody remember the axiom about Nazareth? Yeah, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, that's where God sent Gabriel. That's the girl that God chose. I love the way Ken Hughes, one of my favorite contemporary commentaries puts it this. He says this about this scene. Mary was a nobody from a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Do you see the amazing fact of Jesus' humility? 
Think about it for a moment, parents. Parents, out of love, what do we want? We want the best of our children. We want to clothe our children so that they won't be embarrassed. We want to send them to the best schools. We want to give them a warm and loving environment. We want to give our children the best. Right? Now, I want you to pause for a moment. Contemplate this. Your heavenly father for your salvation gave you far less than most of us have given our own children. This is the humble condition into which the Lord Jesus Christ was born. I say this so that we will appreciate the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because from, his, from before his birth, from before his birth, it was appointed that he would be born to this obscure maiden from a obscure city in an obscure region into a relatively poor family for your salvation. Because of his amazing, loving condescension in his redeeming work. And doesn't that point to something about God's purposes in Jesus' own humility? So that later, Jesus would say this. I don't know if you can remember this one. The foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Yeah. And doesn't that tell us something about how we ought to be marching to the beat of a different drum? Instead of worshiping status and stuff, which is so prevalent the Christmas season, we should be displaying humility. So let me just give you some practical ways we can display the humility that Mary displayed. Well, number one, we can humbly acknowledge God in everything. For the sake of our own souls, we need to regularly bow our heads to our magnificent, awe-inspiring God. There are no human words that can describe who he is and how he's blessed us. Secondly, This sounds so simplistic, I hate to say it. You need to thank God every day. It is God's will that we thank him in any circumstances because he knows this helps us keep our hearts in check. You know, as we humble ourselves, we will be surprised by how long our list can be if we truly are thankful. Number three, this is the one I have really difficult time. Stop grumbling. Okay? Let me just remind you. Any form of grumbling, whining, or protesting stems from a spirit of self-entitlement, and it is the opposite of humility. Because when we humble our hearts and submit to God, instead, we can become those beacon of lights it says in the Sermon of the Mount that won't distinguish 
then extinguish themselves. Finally, we need to forgive and bless others. The choice to forgive and bless those who offended us is the true test of our humility. The Bible tells us to pray for and bless others, especially those who we perceive to be our enemies. It doesn't tell us to try to bless them. It is simply tells us just do it, kind of like the Nike commercial. So, let us show this heart of humility as Mary did. The first thing we can perceive in this passage is we had an obscure woman from an obscure town in an obscure region that humbly gave birth so that we could have salvation. The second word, privilege. Privilege. Christians for hundreds of years have meditated upon the privilege that Mary had as the one who was going to be the mother of the Messiah, okay? A lot of us grew up in denominations that that was the key, okay? Other people, we just hear that. But here's what I want you to think about. Yes, I want us to think about the privilege of Mary and burying and mothering the Messiah, of doing that because it's God's only son. But as you think about that, I want you to also think about the privilege that you have, that we have in being the children of God through faith in him. Let's look at verses 28 and 29. The angel came to Mary and says to her, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. You have found favor with God. Excuse me. Yes, that's an extraordinary privilege. This very young woman is told that she's going to have the responsibility of birthing and rearing the Messiah. That just blows my mind. Okay, a 12-year-old? Yeah. Totally apart from the announcement that she was going to be, she was going to have the child without benefit of a father in conception, to be told alone that you're going to be the mother of the Messiah must have been overwhelming, even if you were a very mature woman. But here's a 12 and 12 and a half year old. But he says to her, you have been favored. And Christians for hundreds of years have thought about the enormous privilege that Mary had. A lot of us have read a lot on Martin Luther. Did you know Martin Luther had a Christmas book? I'm going to quote you out of his Christmas book. He said this, No woman has ever lived on earth to whom God has chosen such grace. And of course, there is a sense which is that is true. But I want you to think for a moment, believer, about another privilege that I alluded earlier. A privilege that is in fact greater than that privilege 
that he said, oh, favored one. It is a privilege of being a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Because in that case, it's thicker than blood. Let me remind you. John 1, 11, and 12. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, the privilege, to be the children of God. Do you realize that, my friend? That as you trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, as he is offered in the gospel, you are given a status and a privilege that is far greater than that that we cannot conceive. That to be called a child of God, a brother and sister of Jesus Christ, a joint heir with him. Such that later in Luke chapter 8 verse 21 when Mary and his brothers were looking for Jesus, this is kind of humorous. You know, it says, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, who are my mother and my brothers? And then what does he say about that? He says, here it is, those who hear my word and do it. They are my mother and brothers. Do you realize that by grace through faith, every believer has the privilege of being the brother or sister and the son of the heavenly father? It's my challenge here. Do not discount your gospel privileges. Yes, it is totally appropriate of us to honor this godly young woman whose charge it was to nurture the one who would be our savior. But my friends, we must not do it at the discount of the heavenly promise that God has given us by faith to become the children of God. Those words come from Jesus himself, not the angel Gabriel. And we must meditate upon the privilege that has been given. We can become the children of God. That's our amazing privilege, okay? To be humble, to have privilege. The third word always gets me, mystery. Mystery. Have you perceived a virgin birth? You know, okay? Perhaps you stumbled over it. I have many times. If so, join the club. So did Mary, Right? If you don't believe that, after the angel Gabriel in verses 30 and to 33 had explained to Mary what's going to happen, you see what her response was? Kind of like probably what mine is. How? You know, how? How is this going to happen? I don't understand. I'm a virgin. How am I going to have a baby? I understand Elizabeth, okay? You know, Elizabeth is going to have a baby, I understand it, but she's got something I don't have, right? She's got a relationship with a husband. How am I going to have a baby? Uncashable. But here's a simple explanation, my friends. If you believe in an infinite God, 
then there are going to be mysteries in your relationship with Christ that we don't understand. If you believe in a God who has no bounds, has no limits, no finitude, is all-powerful, is all-knowing, then there are going to be things beyond your knowing. And this is not a problem. In fact, it's a proof of faith. The mystery of the virgin birth, far from a problem for faith, proves the worthiness of God to be worshipped and the importance of walking by faith and not by sight. Maybe you're sitting out here today and you're struggling with the virgin birth. Or you grew up in denominations that had you struggling with that. Let me ask you this question then. If you can't conceive how a virgin can conceive, then what about this? Christians believe that Mary gave birth to the sinless son of God. Now, which is harder to believe, that God came in the flesh in Jesus and he was without sin, or that he came in flesh miraculously? Okay, yeah. Maybe we are one of these struggling to figure out life itself and all its simple mysteries. My friends, Christians worship a God who brought the world into being by what? He spoke it. I don't understand that either. So it does not surprise them that he does mighty miracles to display his power. This is not a surprise, the virgin birth. In fact, it's proof of his infinity and his omnipotence. Mary said, how will this be since I am a virgin? Again, if you're struggling with that, take a ticket and stand behind Mary. Mary didn't have any idea how this could happen either. And yet, God's sovereignty was displayed. Do not despise mysteries. In a religion in which we worship an infinite, omnipotent God, there are going to be things we don't understand. Let me remind you of Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There are going to be mysteries. Fourthly, that leads us to the fourth word. That's the word sovereignty. You see in verse 37, okay, the angel Gabriel's response to Mary's not understanding anything. I like this, okay? For nothing. Okay, what's nothing? Nothing. Okay, nothing is nothing, okay? For nothing will be impossible with God. The sovereignty of God is seen in the angel Gabriel's answer regarding the virgin birth and the birth of John the Baptist to Mary's cousin Elizabeth. And the answer is simply this. Mary, this is his answer in my paraphrase. Mary, this is how you know. Because there's nothing he can't do. He's sovereign. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He's God. That's how you know. And my friends, there's a huge message for the Christian life in this. It's simply this. I'm going to repeat this twice because I think it's so 
Beautiful. Faith rests on the sovereignty of God. Faith rests on the sovereignty of God. J.C. Riles, he was an old-time bishop of Liverpool. I love some of his things. says it this way. Faith never rests so calmly and peaceably as, it, as when it lays its head on the pillow of God's omnipotence. Let me read that again because it's kind of mind-blowing. Faith never rests so calmly. That's a hard word for me. Anybody knows me to know. Calmly and peaceable fully as when it lays its head on the pillow of God's omnipotence. And that's the angel Gabriel's answer. And there's a huge message in this for us. First, at the very outsets of Jesus' life and ministry, notice how God intervenes in his all-powerfulness. It begins with the miracle of the virgin birth. It begins with the miracle of God in the flesh. What does that tell us? It tells you that salvation is all of God and all of grace. But it also tells you something about how we are to live our Christian life. You all remember Romans 4? And what Paul says about what Abraham did? He believed God. He believed God despite all evidence to the contrary. He believed the promises of God because of the sovereign power of God. God is in control. He is sovereign of all. Yes, we do need a heart of humility. We need to be enriched over the privilege to be called the sons of God. We need to expect the fact that God is omniscient, omnipotent, and there are things that we will never know or never understand. We need to accept that God is in control of all things. He's sovereign. But finally, there's one more word I want us to learn. One more that you'll see in verse 38. So we see we've not just talked about humility and privilege and mystery and sovereignty, but the final word is submission. And I want to suggest that you, that we learn a lot about the nature of Christian life from Mary's response. Let me read verse 38. Behold the Lord's bondservant. May it be done to me according to your word. There's bravery and a faith and a humility displayed by Mary. She, un- she may have not understood, but I think she does, understood that the burden that she was going to carry, there was going to be wrought with dangers. There were going to be things that she didn't understand. But she knew that if she submitted to God, she was going to be free. Her bondage, her servants, her servitude was going to mean to be free. And there is a submission that understands that this is at the very heart of the Christian life. The Christian life can be summarized in Mary's response. I am a bond servant of the Lord. 
Can we say that? Okay. You know, if you want a little bit more further on depth of what that bond service is, I would suggest, you know, I'm not usually a bookseller. There's a wonderful book by John MacArthur called Doulas, Servant K. Talk about it. But are we a bond servant of the Lord? It is a God-centered believing, thinking, and living that she manifests it. This is at the very heart of a believer's response to the gospel. If you believe the gospel and your whole life has been reorientated around God and his word and you begin to serve others in self-renouncing love, this is not going to be burdensome, okay? We're going to have the same response as Mary did. Remember, 12 years old, okay? I just want to keep on remembering that, okay? I'm a bondservant of the Lord. That's submission to God's authority. So, as I started out this, you want to live and act and think like a Christian this Christmas season? Okay, you want to get rid of all the trinkets and the glorified whatever we want to call it? This is a pretty good place to start. So, let me just very briefly... And I mean very, very, like in a sentence or two, let's talk about those five words again. First, humility. I'm going to ask you some questions, okay? Just think upon yourself. Do we have the humility of Christ? Are we the servant of all? Or at least do we have the humility of Mary? Remember, an obscure figure from an obscured city, from an obscured region, to be the mother for our salvation. Second, privilege. Yes, Mary did have a wonderful privilege. But do we cherish the privilege to be called the sons of God? To be joint heirs with Jesus. Thirdly, mystery. Do we apply Colossians 2.2? Let me remind you what Colossians 2.2 says. That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. What's God's mystery? That is Christ himself. Fourthly, sovereignty. Do we believe by living it out? Not, not, remember, we know the devils believe, okay? Do we believe by living it out that with God, nothing is impossible? Finally, submission. Do you acknowledge, as Mary did in verse 38, that I am a slave, a bondservant, of the Lord. As I began this message, Christmas is about who? About Jesus. And as I end this message, it is still all about Jesus. Okay, we can, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just pray that we can focus each 
upon this passage that we can have humble hearts that we can thank the Lord that we can be called sons of God the privilege that we can acknowledge that there are mysteries and things that we're never going to know but you're in control because that's the fourth thing the sovereignty nothing is impossible and finally let us live out that we are bond servants